Brethren, we're living in a very sobering period of time. You might want to take notes specifically of the news and prophecy items in your bulletin today. Headlines that literally jump out of the pages of the Bible. Droughts, rising sea levels, deforestation. These are things that they're predicting for the coming years. You can read about those things also in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Things are happening today that we talked about 30, 40, 50 years ago. But they're coming to pass today. And these things are sobering. But I'd like to ask you a couple of questions as we begin the sermon today. I'd like you to think about them as we go through the sermon. Question number one, what is the greatest or what is one of the greatest dangers that you and I face today? Whether we're Christians or non-Christians. What is one of the greatest dangers that you and I face today in today's world? The second question, what is one of the greatest gifts that you can have or develop as a Christian or a non-Christian? What is one of the greatest gifts that you can have or develop today? And the third question, how do these first two questions relate to you and preparing for the Passover, whether or not you are baptized? How do these questions relate to you as we approach the Passover, whether or not you are baptized? The Passover is a period of time to examine ourselves. It's a time of spring house cleaning, physically, And spiritually, it's not a bad time to analyze how are we doing in our lives, where are we going. What I'd like you to do as we begin the sermon is to turn to Matthew 24, and I'd like to focus on three warnings that we find in the Bible, three warnings that God inspired to be preserved for our good, to focus us on important things. In Matthew 24... The first several verses. Jesus' disciples came to him in verse 3. It says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. They asked him a private question. He gave them information that was meant to help them. They recorded that for us. This is inside information that most of the people in the world today do not understand. And yet those of you sitting here do understand. The question is, do we take it to heart? Do we take it to heart? Disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? He was talking about the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How will we know we are getting close to the end of the age? Notice the very first warning that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't wander off the path. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, I am a Christian, I am a minister of God, I am an authority on a particular subject, and will deceive 
many. The first warning that Jesus left to his disciples was about deception. What he's saying is religious deception, and really deceptions of all kinds, will be rampant around the world as we approach the end of the age. Deception will be rampant as we approach the end of the age. And he says, wake up, don't be taken in, don't be deceived. This is one of the greatest dangers that people will face today. And as we approach the end of the age in the years ahead, as we will see. A second warning in Matthew 16, and it's related to this, but it's somewhat different. Matthew chapter 16. Christ was being accosted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day. Chapter 16, verse 1 of Matthew says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, you know, probing, asking questions. And they asked him what, uh, that, or they asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. You know, they had heard claims that he was supposed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and so on. And he said, Come on, show us something. You know, give us a demonstration of your power, that you really are who the, the people say you are. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. I remember my dad used to have this saying that he had picked up somewhere. He said that, um, um, what was it? (laughs) Uh, Something about when the sky is, red sky at night, sailors delight. There we go. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. And if you notice, you know, if, if it's nice red sky at night, it's probably going to be fairly nice in the morning. But if it's red sky in the morning, there's probably clouds coming, it's going to rain. But Christ was saying, look, you know how to predict the weather. You can recognize the signs of the, in the sky. But he says, but you cannot discern the signs of the time." I am here as a representative of the kingdom of God, as the Son of God, as the Messiah, and you don't even understand who I am. You are supposedly the religious leaders of Israel. You have the scriptures in which there are over 200 prophecies of who I am, and you don't know. He said, you can't discern the signs of the times. You're blind. You don't recognize the obvious. Then he goes on, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he was saying, you know, I will be in the grave three days and three nights, and this is going to be the only sign I'm going to give you. Now, there were other signs in his healings and everything else that he did, but they didn't recognize who was actually standing in front of them because they lacked discernment. He says you're unable to discern. You don't recognize. You don't see what is right in front of you. Discernment is an extremely important gift that God provides. It's also a Uh, an asset that we can develop if we follow certain steps. You know, some people are clueless about what's happening around them. Other people can discern 
They can read. They can read expressions. They can read body language. They can read the papers (laughs) and put two and two together. They can connect dots, the right dots, if they have discernment. In Matthew 24, let's go there quickly, just talking a little bit more about discernment. Matthew 24, beginning verse 32. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 32. So now learn the parable of fig tree. Christ, again, is talking with his disciples. Now, this was inside information that they recorded for us. Now, learn the parable of a fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, we know that summer is near. And we drive around, we see the buds just, just barely ready to pop out on these trees. And if we have another two, three, four days of nice, warm, sunny weather, everything's going to turn green. But we know it's coming because when you look at the trees, the buds are just, just ready to pop. He says, whenever you look at trees, you should be able to know that summer is coming. So also, when you see all these things, everything that he discussed in the earlier verses of Matthew 24, wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, disease epidemics, deception on a worldwide basis, he said, assuredly, this generation, the generation that sees these things, and I would really encourage you, read through the announcements in the bulletin there and the news and prophecy. These things literally jump off the page. We got these out in newspapers just this last week or off the Internet and compare it to what is discussed in Matthew 24. He says, assuredly, the generation that sees these things will not pass away. It's going to happen in their lifetime. Now, verse 36, but of that day and the hour, no one knows. We don't know the exact time. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and so on, and did not know till the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of man be. People will be watching basketball games. They'll be watching baseball games. They'll be going here, going there, totally oblivious of what is really going to come to pass. People lack discernment. And people who lack discernment will go down the tubes with our society today. Discernment is one of the greatest gifts that we can have. It's one of the greatest assets that we can develop. We need to be alert to the signs of the times. How does this relate to the Passover? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We will read these scriptures on the night of the Passover. Even if you're not baptized, you can read these scriptures and begin to examine yourself. What is the purpose of your life? Where are you going with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What values will guide your life? Where do you want to be five years from now, ten years from now? How are you going to live your life? These are decisions that you have to make and that I have to make. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, this is the attitude that we should have approaching the Passover and this period of time. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now notice it says an unworthy manner. Some people 
come up with this idea almost every year, well, I can't come to the Passover because I'm just not worthy. Brethren, none of us are worthy to take the Passover. None of us are worthy, but we're commanded to be there. But if we take it in an unworthy manner, this is the point. An unworthy manner, not discerning the Lord's body, as we will read. We will be guilty of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. But let person examine himself or herself. Am I living according to the laws of God? I think I'm a Christian, but am I living a Christian life? Am I being the light and example that I should be? This is what should go through our minds at this time. But let a person examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats or she who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner is is the approach. It's what's in our mind as we come to the Passover. Drinks judgment to himself or herself, not discerning, not fully appreciating that Jesus Christ gave his life for you and for me so that we could be forgiven that we can have a fresh start. We need to discern the Lord's body. We need to have this sense of discernment of what it took so that we could be forgiven, so that we can change, so that we can grow. What I'd like to do in the sermon today is talk about two topics, deception and discernment. Deception and discernment. And I want to ask a couple of more clarifying questions. Are you alert to the dangers of deception in the world today? Or have you been caught up in some of the deceptions that influence this world in so many ways? Are you alert to the dangers of deception in religion, in philosophy, in business, in the church? Have you been caught up? in deceptions, or caught up in the deceptions of somebody's misunderstanding of scriptures? Are you deceived about anything? Have you been deceived? Could you be deceived by someone or something or some idea? Do you have discernment, or do people joke about you as being clueless? (laughs) She doesn't get it. (laughs) He doesn't understand. They don't see. Do we have discernment? Are you developing discernment? Are you developing discernment? Are you helping your children grow in discernment? How do you develop discernment? How do you develop discernment? You know, as Mr. Smith was saying, it would be nice if we could press a button on the Internet. We get, uh, you know, gigabytes of discernment. Uh, doesn't happen that way. But God does outline ways and reveal ways that we can grow in discernment. And how does this relate to the Passover as we will uh, explore through the sermon? And I really hope, brethren, as we go through the sermon, that to get the most out of the sermon, try and make what I'm saying personal. Take it personal. Take it personally. As we talk about various things, you know, ask yourself, does this shoe fit? Does it apply to me? 
And if it does, then strive to make some changes. Ask God to help you see what changes that you need to make. And I'm going to say you. I'm not preaching down at you, even though I'm way up here on this podium. <laughs> you know, I've got to ask myself these things. How do these things apply to me that we're talking about? Just to clarify, deception, what does it mean? Deception or to be deceived, you look up the words, comes from a number of different Greek words or Hebrew words. Deception means to wander from the path. You, you wander off course. You get sucked into an idea that's partly right but mainly wrong. Just like Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan, by promising something that uh, didn't turn out to be quite what it looked like. Deception involves being misled or misleading people, making misleading statements, following misleading statements. It means to tell a lie or to believe a lie, to believe something that's untrue or to say something that's untrue. This is what deception involves. Discernment, on the other hand, means to perceive relationships, to understand how things fit together, to see clearly what many others do not see, to recognize the truth when it's all mixed up with a bunch of other ideas, to find the right path. People like to go through mazes and try and figure out how do I get from here to there. They like to challenge We've got the biggest challenge of life facing us today because there's all kinds of misinformation floating around today, claims being made that are not true. A person that has deception will be, or excuse me, that has discernment will be able to recognize deception. That's wrong. That is not true, and here is why. We should be able to do these things and grow in these areas. Let's talk first a little bit about deceivers. Because the Bible says a lot about deceivers who will deceive many people. You know, in Matthew 24, we just read, talked about the disciples came to Christ privately. And he said, when, you know, how will we know, how can we recognize the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And he said, you know, stay alert, be heedful, wake up. Watch, listen carefully, because many will come and deceive many people. Mark said the same thing. First couple of verses of Mark chapter 13, Luke said the same thing in Luke 21. Yeah, Mr. Armstrong used to say years ago, God repeats things in the Bible that are important. God repeats things in the Bible that are important. And what we're told at the end of the age, deception is going to be rampant all over the world. So we're going to have to be very, very careful. But it's not only the Gospels that said these things. Look at 2 Timothy quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing about the end of the age and what things are going to be like as we approach the end of the age. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, But know this, and he's writing to Timothy, and he's giving Timothy guidelines of how to conduct ministry. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Difficult times will come. Troublesome times will come. There's an article in the paper this morning about uh, melting glaciers in Greenland. 
uh, are starting to move, and they're actually causing earthquakes up there. Because the water gets underneath the glaciers, these things start to move. And when you're moving <laughs> chunks of ice as big as Manhattan Island, it, it does tend to create uh, disturbances. And they're talking about uh, if the temperatures continue to rise, we could be looking at an increase or a rise in ocean levels from anywhere from a foot to three feet over the next 50 to 100 years. And some people say, we well, you know there's, not, there's no such thing as global warming. You know, I've flown over Mount Kilimanjaro three times now. <laughs> There's no snow on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. And they said they can't remember any time in living history when there's been no snow there. When I was in Alaska four or five years ago, there's a glacier that you can drive to. You used to be able to drive up and look at it just south of uh, Anchorage. We drove up there. You can't see it. <laughs> it's retreated almost a mile or more back behind a a hill. And these things are happening all over the world. As temperatures increase, it's going to change the ecology of the world. I mean, this is the times in which we're living. And Paul is saying here, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Difficult times, stressful times. It talks about men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, boastful, and so on. But down in uh, uh, verse 13, just skipping down through here, it says, But men, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We talk about putting a spin on the news today. And with all the spin, you don't know what is true. But this is what's happening today. They talk about deliberately putting out misinformation to deceive people. And not tell the truth. This is the world we're living in. But Paul also has advice here in verse 14. But as for you, continue in the things that you have learned. Stay on course. Remember what you've been taught. Continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. You know, who taught you the truth? What was their track record? When you hear somebody else proclaiming something different, we need to ask, who are they? What is their track record? Why are they saying what they're saying? What will happen to me if I follow them? You know, we need to be asking questions like that. Know of whom you have learned the things. And the, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise, give you discernment. Help you avoid making big, bad mistakes. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And God gives us guidelines in the Bible for avoiding deception. But he says in the last days these things are going to happen. We're going to have to know the scriptures so that we are not deceived. Be able to recognize when someone is speaking the truth and when they're not speaking the truth. These things are going to have an impact on the world. If we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about a great falling away is going to come, a great falling away from the truth of God. And a man of sin is going to be revealed. And it talks about then he's going to have powers. 
uh, to uh, do signs and lying wonders. He's going to be able to do various things that will attract attention in verse 9, verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. You might want to look this up in a couple of different translations. It talks about uh, with all unrighteous deception or with delusions of unrighteousness. Another way of translating it. Uh, Unrighteousness is basically... Uh, violating the commandments of God. And they will do this under a delusion. But you don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You can do this and get away with it. It doesn't matter. No, there will be consequences when we break the laws of God. And a person that breaks the laws of God and thinks they can get away with it is under a delusion. Now make this personal. Are you breaking laws of God? And do you think you'll get away with it? This is the type of thing we need to think about as we approach the Passover. Have I been deluded into thinking I can do this and get away with it? That there will be no consequences. The world is being deluded today to think that way. And if we go along with the world, float down the river with the world, we will go over the waterfall just like the world will. We've got to be swimming upstream in many cases or getting out of the river that's going over the waterfall. But all unrighteous delusion or delusions of unrighteousness are going to be used uh, among those who perish. Another translation says among those who are involved in this dying world. This world is under a delusion It's not going to last that much longer, the civilization that we see around us. And it says that uh, the people will be deluded, those who are involved in this dying world that have not come out of this world, as we've been admonished. There are reasons for coming out of the world and doing things differently. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. People will be deluded. He's going to let them believe what they want to believe. If you do a little study on your own, God actually says in some of the Old Testament prophecies, don't even pray for them. Don't even pray for them. They had their chance. They had their opportunity. They're going to have to to deal with the consequences. That may be the only way they will learn their lessons is if they reap what they've sown. Then their mind will be open to the point where, okay, maybe they'll learn now. It's sobering to see how God views some of these things. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they may all be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And this is the message of the world. You come this way, this way is fun. You come do this, this is what all the, the in people do. But then there are consequences for these things. But notice again how Paul balances out the the warnings with positive admonitions. Verse 13, But you are bound to give thanks to God always for you, but we are bound to give thanks always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. You're not sitting in this congregation or the congregations of the church of God around the world by accident. God has called you. He's given you an opportunity to understand the truth to begin to discern where the world is going. 
And what is going to happen in the years just ahead? That is an incredible privilege, an incredible opportunity. God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification, being set apart by the Spirit and the belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. Not running off after new truth. Not being sucked into new understandings and new ideas. But coming back to the truth of God, back to the, the trunk of the tree. And not getting all excited about the buds on the <laughs> edge of the branches that, that blossom and they disappear. They look so beautiful at one time. Stand fast and hold to the traditions which you were taught whether by word or our epistle. So Paul is warning here in uh, 2 Thessalonians that a man of sin is going to come along. There's going to be a great falling away. People are going to follow a lie. As we mentioned in the News and Prophecy this week, uh, it appears the Pope will probably visit England this summer. The Archbishop of Canterbury is a member of what is called the Anglo-Catholic wing of the Anglican Church. In other words, he already has leanings towards the Catholic Church. And if the Pope comes, they'll probably do what they can to begin pulling everyone together to glorify God. You go back and read Isaiah 47 where it talks about a woman, a fallen woman, who will know no loss of daughters, that will want to bring the daughters back into the fold. The major denominations of the Protestant world are called the seven daughters, seven sisters. Well, seven sisters are daughters of someone. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. There's going to be an effort to bring everyone together and to jettison whatever truth they have left and compromise to get back together. But there'll be reasons for this, to have a worldwide religion. And how this will glorify God. This is what we're going to be reading in the papers. And this is what appears to be in the, uh, on the future for this coming summer or uh, shortly thereafter. How wide of an impact will this deception have? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Scriptures again that we've known and read and talked about for years. And in recent years, these things have been ignored, but they're still in the Bible. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, it talks about Satan. It says, So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Who deceives the whole world. You know, do we understand that? Does that make sense to us? Do we see that? You know, there's some two billion professing Christians in the world today. They're professing Christians, but they don't understand the Sabbath. They don't understand the holy days. They don't understand the plan of God. They don't understand the purpose of life. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand prophecy because they've been deceived. Two billion professing Christians Two billion. There are about 100 billion Muslims in the world. 
that believe in a book that is totally different from the Scriptures, that contradict the Scriptures. There's a Muslim cleric in Norway this past week. says there's a war going on between the Muslim world and the West, and we are going to win. <laughs> this doesn't promote peace. And whenever the clerics are telling some of their parishioners to go out and kill Christians, because this will glorify God or their perception of God. This is the world that we live in. There's three billion people that don't understand the plan and purpose of God. How many millions worship idols? As we approach various holy day seasons, some of these people that worship idols, they will be sticking themselves with pins and hooks and and, and you know, showing themselves or showing some people how they can punish themselves to please a God somewhere. There are also millions of people that don't believe God exists, that God is an idea, but he's not real. You might want to go back and read Psalm 14, verse 1, and Psalm 53, verse 1, where it says, Only a fool says there is no God. Only a fool says there is no God. And yet you go to many universities today and people laugh at the idea of God. Professors laugh at the idea of God. I remember I took a a philosophy course in college. And on the first day of the philosophy class, we walked into class and the professor looked around the room. He had a Bible on his desk. I thought, this is going to be an interesting class. He picked it up, threw it in the corner into the waste can. He said, see, no lightning. No thunder, no earthquakes, there's no God. Now, that was to shock the students. But this is what happens in universities today. It's no wonder that people lose their faith, young people, when they go to college or they go to university, because of the bias against anything that's supernatural that relates to God. But many people are interested in the supernatural as it relates to the paranormal, <laughs> you know, spirits and, and the occult and everything like that. Those things are uh, uh, okay to study academically. But to study the Bible, well, we're establishing religion. We can't do that. It's no wonder the people lose their faith today. Revelation 12.9 says Satan has deceived the whole world. You might just think for a minute what kinds of deceptions exist in the world today. Religion, in many cases, deceives people. Many people are growing up today believing that evolution is true. And yet there's a growing body of literature that's challenging the whole foundation of evolution. The evidence is not there. It's been twisted. It's been manufactured. It's been, people have been lied to in that area. Communism. How many millions of people bought into the idea of communism? I talked with a lady in college, and she would walk around the office, I'm a communist. <laughs> I don't know whether she still does things like that or not. I mean, communism has basically been shown to, doesn't work. But she was walking around the office, this was about 10 years ago, I'm a communist. And she was intellectual, displaying her ignorance. <laughs> but people buy into these ideas because it's the thing to do. But it's deceived millions of people. Talk to some people in Eastern Europe of how they've had to live, how they've had to function. 
one of the individuals who's attending with us down in Tanzania is living in a country where the president tried to make it a communist socialistic country. And he says, we can't speak English today because we weren't allowed to speak English. We had to speak our own native language. He said, now we can't communicate with the world. He said, the economy didn't work. We couldn't get soap. We couldn't get toothbrushes. We couldn't get anything because it didn't work. Had all these idealistic notions. He said, but we have suffered for a number of years, decades, because of these ideas that our leaders tried to teach and tried to follow. He said, it doesn't work. He said, we have had to suffer through these things. There are consequences for deceptions. We're trying to export democracy to the world because we believe that's going to be the hope of the world. And yet people who have looked at government for the past 2,500 years recognize that democracy has real problems. I think it was Plato, about 400 B.C., made this observation. He says that monarchies are, go to or replaced essentially by oligarchies. In other words, a leadership by a few. That is then replaced by democracies. Democracies turn into anarchy. And the anarchy then is replaced by dictatorships. Now, here was a carnal human being 2,500 years ago saw the cycle. We pride ourselves in being based on Greek demographic, yeah, Greek democratic ideals. But Greek democracy didn't last very long. It was replaced by a Macedonian dictatorship because it turned into anarchy and someone had to come in and straighten things out. We're going to see these things happen again today because we're not learning the lessons of history. We're deceived today as societies. But you can look at all kinds of other things. People were being told today the Bible is only written by men. It's, it's, it's just a regular book. It's not inspired by God. That's a deception. The Bible claims to be the inspired word of God. It contains prophecies. The uh, Koran does not contain prophecies. I mean, these are some of the major differences between the holy books that various people follow. The prophecies in the Bible demonstrate that only a supernatural, all-powerful God could have inspired this book. The other holy books don't contain prophecies that are as specific as the Bible. You have been given the truth. I have been given the truth. We've been given an understanding of that. The world has not. That's why they don't understand where things are going. People are being told today, even in the church, the health laws in the Bible, they were just for the Jews. You know, they're archaic. They don't apply anymore. We have refrigerators today. <laughs> These are lies. What are we going to teach when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth if it's not the health laws in the Bible? These are timeless. They work. They're powerful principles. The admonitions we find in the New Testament. Let's go to these just very quickly and notice a few things. Some people have smoke coming out of their ears when they read these sections of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 5, let's begin in verse 22. 
It says, wives, submit to your husbands. What? Get out of here. Never. Over my dead body. But when we understand what it's saying, adapt to, learn to work with your husband. Be careful who you say I do to. I mean, this is all is what is entailed here. The husband is the head of the wife. Are you kidding? Come on. God was the author of marriage. God designed the institution. He said, this is the way it will work best if you follow these principles. And fellows that aspire to be husbands need to understand what it means to lead in a loving way with understanding and sensitivity and firmness where needed. I mean, this is what's all entailed here, but people throw this out today. This is old-fashioned. This was only applied for Paul's time. It doesn't apply today. These are lies. This is why the divorce rate is as high as it is today, because in some cases neither men nor women understand what marriage is all about. See, if we follow wrong teachings, if we're misled, if we're pulled off the path, if we wander from the path, then we're going to begin to wonder, why isn't this working? Well, because we're not following the basic instructions. We don't understand what is here. These are some of the lies that circulate today. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is the other side of the coin. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> Paul is talking about marriage and marital difficulties here. But he's giving advice. He's giving guidelines. Now to the married, now he's talking to people in the church that understand the, the, the truth of God. To the married individuals, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. This is God's instruction. A wife is not to depart from her husband. And if she does depart, and she's a believer, let her remain unmarried. Or be reconciled. To her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. If he does, he is to remain unmarried <laughs> or be reconciled. Now, why does God say that? Because God hates divorce. It's just that plain. He hates divorce because of the complications and because of the consequences. You know, if people follow this, I think they will give an awful lot of thought before they decide, I don't think I want to be married, especially if my husband or my, you know, my, husband, my mate uh, is a believer. Because my options are either to get back together or stay unmarried. I think God does this for reasons. So that we don't just, well, I'm not really satisfied here. <laughs> I've not uh, really met my soulmate, or I've concluded I, I'm not married to my soulmate. So I must go find somebody else. And this is what's happening today. It's happening way too much today. It should not be happening. But it's happening because people have followed wrong advice and wrong counsel and believe wrong things. You can probably come up with another list of 10 or 12 or 15 delusions that people are following today. 
But what we're told in the scripture is Satan has deceived the whole world. And this is one of the reasons Jesus Christ is going to have to come back and bring things to a conclusion. That's enough. <laughs> it's over. This is all comes to a stop and we're going to start over in a different direction. That's what we've been called to do. Why are there so many lies? Maybe just jot it down in your scripture. John 8:44 talks about Satan was a liar and the father of lies. Because Satan is out to destroy the work of God. He's out to, do, to uh, disrupt the plan of God, to pull people away from the plan of God. And he will use all kinds of lies to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, another very interesting scripture. 2 Corinthians, actually, chapter 11. <clears throat> This is sobering, I think. It's something we don't really talk about that much. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking about his concern for the church at Corinth. In verse 3, he says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes... Now, this verse 4 is... Uh, doesn't come across as clearly probably as it could. You might want to check a couple different translations. It says, if he who comes, some new person comes with new truth and preaches another Jesus, a Jesus perhaps with long hair, a Jesus that uh, says the commandments are not that important to keep, uh, a Jesus that says, well, just do what feels right in your heart. If someone comes, preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, and I think you will find different spirits in different church organizations that you might visit. Oh, but there was so much love. But was there a spirit of truth? Was there an understanding of prophecy? Was there spiritual discernment? If you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel, that we go to heaven instead of reign on this earth, that we can keep Christmas because that's when Jesus was born. A different gospel which you have not accepted. Now, this last part doesn't come across real clearly. You may as well put up with it. Uh, another way of translating it says, if you believe these things, you are marvelously tolerant. <laughs> If you believe these things, you are marvelously tolerant. It's incredible what you're believing, is one way of translating that. Another way of saying, if you believe these things, if you're listening to these things, Paul says, you better listen to what I have to say. If you're believing these guys, you better listen to what I'm saying. And then he goes on, verse 5, For consider that I am not at all inferior to the most, to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. I know what I'm talking about. But down in verse uh, <clears throat> 13, he was talking about false teachers. In verse 13, we're just picking up the thought. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Who are these people? And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, if his 
ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. They appear to be ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. The scripture says that many of these people are Satan's ministers. They are ministers of Satan. Who are these people? Well, they're transforming themselves into apostles. We have people running around today claiming to be apostles. And Mr. Armstrong, I think, reluctantly concluded he was an apostle after a period of years. The person who followed him had some of his followers refer to him as an apostle. And it bombed. It bombed because people recognized he's not. But I think the point is Mr. Armstrong took quite some time to, to, to adjust to the fact that he might be an apostle. Yet there are others that appoint themselves as apostles today based on their own opinions of themselves. And we need to understand these things. The Bible is very plain. Such are false apostles and deceitful workers. Notice Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2. This is not a subject that the Bible avoids talking about. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, we have a prophetic description here of the apostolic era of the church, the Ephesian era of the church. Beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 2, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, says he who upholds or holds in his the seven stars in his right hand, he who walks in the midst of the seven golden candle lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. You know, when somebody comes along and claims to be an apostle, we need to ask, who are you? What is your track record? Where have you been? What have you done? What are you doing? You know, they might publish 60 reasons why the church, the living church of God, is way off base. You know, I've read through papers like that. And the most incredible conflation of ridiculous claims that are simply not true. And these things need to be nailed. They're not true. They've been made up. I read through them, and this was supposedly what we believed, and I thought, this is incredible. <laughs> we don't believe these things. These are manufactured, and yet these are put out over the Internet. We need to understand, brethren, that people will claim to be apostles. But the Bible says they are not. They are not of God. People will also claim to be prophets. These things are there, Second. Peter chapter 2. It's interesting how much this era of the church is beginning to reflect the era of the apostles. The same problems are here. The same problems were there. Peter is writing towards the end of the first, well, not towards the end, but towards the latter part of the first century. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Second Peter. But there were also false prophets among you. Now, some translations say false teachers, but it's false teachers, false prophets among you, even as there will be false teachers or false prophets 
among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. The holy days have been done away with. Sabbath is no longer necessary. The dietary laws are archaic. We're going to heaven. The kingdom of God is within you. Peter was saying they're going to bring in subtly or secretly bring in, subtly bring in. They will have a concealed agenda, even though they say there's no agenda. It's there. And some of these things have been openly admitted later that were denied at an earlier stage. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. But notice in verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways. Many. One of the dangers that we face today is deception. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the truth will be blasphemed or evil spoken of. You don't believe those silly things about the holy days, do you? That's Jewish. Jesus Christ nailed all that to the cross. Don't you understand? Poor dear. You're still bogged down under the old covenant. You haven't been liberated yet. By way of whom the truth will be blasphemed. The truth will be evil spoken of. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. A couple of more characteristics about false teachers down here in verse 10. It talks about especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and they despise authority. I can't be part of your church because I'd have to be under one-man government. (laughs) Why do we have a council of elders It's not one-man government. But they have all these reasons that some people come up with. They despise authority. See, I've got to be independent because God has called me to use me. So I've got to be independent on my own, as the reasoning may go. They are presumptuous. We'll look at an example of that in just a minute. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. You can get down through and find out a bunch of other things about these people. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls. They find out who they get to and they begin to work on them. What does it mean to be presumptuous? What does it mean by a false prophet to be presumptuous? There are some people today using scriptures to claim that uh, prophecies in the Bible apply to them. Go back to Deuteronomy Chapter 15, Deuteronomy chapter 15. Moses was given a prophecy about a prophet who would come. Now, did I get the wrong scripture here? Here we go, Deuteronomy chapter 17, I'm sorry, 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. 
says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses is saying, from your midst and from your brethren, him you shall hear. So a prophet was predicted to come in the future. You can go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, Acts chapter 3 and verse 22, and Acts chapter 7, verse 37 where both Peter and Stephen referred to this scripture, and they say this relates to Jesus Christ. This was a prophecy of Jesus Christ who would come as a prophet. There's some today that say this particular scripture applies to them. Therefore, they are a prophet. They're taking scriptures that apply to Jesus Christ and applying that to themselves and claiming to be a prophet. And people are following them. People are following them. Jesus Christ was the prophet that was talked about. You can go through a number of scriptures that explain that. And yet there are people following individuals who claim these scriptures were a prophecy of themselves. See, deception operates, brethren, even within the greater church of God. And we've got to be sensitive to these things. We've got to be aware of these things. Now, how do some of these things apply to us? Let's go to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 for just a minute. How does Satan operate? When we find out how he operates, we can begin to understand how some of his ministers operate. And we've got to be careful that we are not sucked into these kind of orbits. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. I've been talking in verse 9 about Satan, the serpent, who's deceived the whole world. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. One of the characteristics of Satan is he is an accuser. He's an accuser of the brethren. One of the attacks that ministers will take sometimes is to dig up a whole lot of dirt and throw it around and make accusations. You might want to look up a scripture in Proverbs, a scripture in Proverbs that talks about an evil man digs up dirt, Proverbs 16, verse 27. It's an evil person that goes around and digs up all kind of dirt and then throws it up on the wall and throws it on the Internet and throws it everyplace else. That explains the type of person that does those things. We have got to be careful, brethren, because Satan accuses people. As we approach the Passover, we might want to look in the mirror. Have, Have we been guilty of maybe accusing people of something? Maybe spreading a rumor. Well, did you know so-and-so did this or does that? Uh, we don't want to get sucked into these things. There's an old saying, if, if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say it. Because sometimes well, we're, we're just you know, providing background. We're just uh, helping somebody understand. Now, there's a time and a place for something, but a lot of things are merely gossip. They probably should be left alone and not brought up and repeated. And we can hurt people when we do that. One of the devices of Satan that is talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, says Satan has devices. 
at the end of that chapter, Paul was talking about forgiving someone. He said, you know, you need to forgive lest Satan take advantage of this situation. You know, if a person perceives that they've tried to change and repent, but they, other people are not letting go, oh, I, you know, they keep bringing things up. Uh, they won't let a person's sins be buried. That can be very frustrating to a person. I don't know whether I can go back to that church. They won't let go of something that was done years ago. God says whenever we repent, Psalms 103, he looks at our sins as as like they, they never happened in a sense. They're as far as the east is from the west. God forgives. And then he'll let it alone. Whereas if we don't let things alone, we keep bringing it up or passing it around to other people, it becomes very frustrating to a person. You know, love covers sins. It covers it. It forgets about it. It lets go of it if we really love someone and are acting with love. See, this is the personal thing. Satan acts certain ways, and sometimes we can do certain things and be influenced and not even realize it. Well, I'm a good Christian. I come to church every Sabbath. But if we're doing certain things, then we're not doing what we should. These are things we just need to be aware of and think about as we approach the Passover. Deceivers are going to be very active as we approach the end of the age. One of the other things I wanted to talk just a little bit about is another aspect of deception, and it's self-deception. Self-deception, where we can deceive ourselves. And the Bible addresses this subject in a number of scriptures. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, <clears throat> you know, this was a dimension of life that I took a while to experience. But I think as you get older, you begin to realize, yes, I have deceived myself, or I can deceive myself. Uh, I'm tempted to say sometimes you've never lived unless you've realized you can can deceive yourself. Uh, But it does happen, and it is possible. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 says, If you say you have no sin, who, me? (laughs) I'm a Christian. I'm baptized. I I couldn't sin. I, I couldn't do something like that. I don't know how they could do that. I would never do that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, is what the Scripture says. And the truth is not in us. Self-deception is possible. came across a couple of quotes I just wanted to share with you. Dostoevsky, a Russian writer, he says, Lying to ourselves is more deeply ingrained than lying to others. He wrote this about 100 years ago. This is something that other people understand. Leonardo da Vinci wrote in the 1500s, the greatest deception men suffer is from their own opinions. Here's what I think. This is the greatest deception that men, and I would assume maybe women, suffer from is their own opinions. Well, here's what I think. It is possible to deceive ourselves, and the Bible says we've got to be very careful that we don't do that. How might we deceive ourselves? Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And as we approach the Passover, we might want to just examine these scriptures and ask ourselves, am I deceiving myself? 
could I? How can I not deceive myself? James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But the doers of the word, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we only hear certain things, but we don't do it, said we could be deceiving ourselves. We've got to be doers and not just hearers. Down in verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue. But deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Do we rattle on too much? Do we say things we shouldn't say? Do we, you know, talk behind somebody's back? Do we spread rumors? That's not what a Christian is supposed to do. And we can deceive ourselves if we think we're Christians, but we do things like this. Again, I'm not up here pointing figures. I've got to watch myself, and I've got to watch what comes out of my mouth. Because uh, sometimes you say things, and then you realize, shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said it. Shouldn't have said it that way. But the Bible talks about this, this possibility of deceiving ourselves. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, an interesting scripture to contemplate as we approach the Passover. Christ is talking about keeping the law in the spirit. And he says, you know, in verse 21, that you've heard it said that you should not murder. But I say unto you, verse 22, whoever is angry with, upset with, mad at, perturbed at, bugged (laughs) with somebody else, is breaking the spirit of the law. Verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, you come to a worship service, you go to the Passover, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. I know he doesn't like me. I know she's upset with me. Or I know I'm upset with them. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way first to be reconciled to your brother or your sister and then come and offer your gift. Don't come to the Passover with a bunch of baggage that you're still carrying from last year or 10 years ago. Get rid of that. Go straighten it out with the person. And then come to worship God. Then come to the Passover as opposed to coming in and noticing where they're sitting and you sit on the other side of the room and then take the Passover. That's not good. You know, we're not doing and following the instructions that Jesus Christ gave us. Jeremiah 17.9, maybe just jot it down and read it and think about it a little bit. It says, the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. This is how we can think and act if we're influenced by Satan and not influenced by God. Now, some people can get really upset. You mean, you're insinuating that I could be influenced by Satan? I am a baptized member of the church. Read Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23, where Peter, who just verses before, Jesus said, who am I? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus said, look, I'm going to die. And Peter says, you are like... (laughs) 
you're not going to die. I'm not going to let that happen. What was Christ's response? Get behind me, Satan. Peter, you're being influenced from a wrong source. Peter, who was an apostle, was being influenced from a wrong source, and he didn't pick up on it. He didn't pick up on it. And Jesus had to kind of hit him between the eyes. Peter, you're tuned into the wrong program. You're on the, way, the wrong wavelength. Peter was influenced. Paul mentions in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. He says, all those in Asia are gone. All those in Asia are no longer with us. They were in the church. He says, they're not around anymore. They're gone. They were influenced by a source coming from the wrong direction. Second Timothy chapter 4, because this applies to us. This is not first century religion. This applies to us. Second Timothy chapter 4, remember Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul introduces in the last days perilous times will come. Chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who are they? They're people that knew the truth. Otherwise, this verse doesn't make any sense. For they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Oh, I love new things. I'm tired of this old stuff and these old songs that we sing. We've got to have new things. According to their own lusts and desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up to themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. They had to know it to turn away from it and be turned aside in the fables. They'll be led off course. They'll be deceived. But again, Paul comes back in a positive way. But you be watchful and endure. Uh, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. You might ask yourself as we approach the Passover, am I being deceived? Am I doing things I shouldn't be doing? Uh, am I slipping off course? Let's talk in the end here a little bit about discernment. This could be another sermon for somebody. Discernment is perception, is being able to put everything together, make sense out of everything, to connect all the dots, to connect the appropriate dots. If you do these kid pictures, some dots you connect and some you don't because it'll make a funny picture. You've got to connect the right dots. You've got to discern. Christ had discernment. Look up the word discern. Look up the word perceive and perceived. Christ was able to perceive people's thoughts. How could he do that? Well, probably partly supernaturally. But if you watch a person's expression, you can see their eyes change. You say certain things. The irises get small. <laughs> you know, you watch the way they cock their heads. You can read people's body language. Christ was able to do that. Some people don't. But you can learn to do those things. How do you develop discernment? A couple quick principles. First Thessalonians 5.21, Paul says, Prove all things. Examine everything carefully. Listen carefully. Check what is said with the scriptures. Prove it. Examine it. Then you have to make decisions based on the facts that you find. Second Timothy 1, 
Verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Stir up the gift that is within you through the laying on of my hands. I've not given you, you've not received a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Talks about three of the fruits of God's spirit. Power comes from a Greek word from which we get our word, uh, the Greek word is dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. Confidence, conviction comes from proving things. Love, an unselfish, outgoing concern of a sound mind is a discerning mind. You're able to discern where the truth is. You're able to discern who's doing the work. You're able to discern a person's attitude. This is one of the fruits of God's Spirit. And Paul says to Timothy, stir it up, fan it into flame, use it. You've been given that potential. You read through Matthew 13, the parables there. Jesus told his disciples, you understand. You understand what the world doesn't understand. Because you have been called, you're special. Do we value that calling? Or are we taking that for granted? 1 Kings chapter 3, maybe read the whole chapter. Solomon was anointed as a king. He says, God, you've given me a big job. You have put me over your people. He says, give me an understanding heart so I can discern between good and evil. God, help me to be able to discern between good and evil. That was a request that Solomon made. He then wrote the book of Proverbs collected a lot of information that help us understand, that help us grow in discernment. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1. Solomon didn't just ask, he did things. He wrote a book for his son, for his children. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Here's the purpose of the book, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive or discern the words of understanding. To discern the words of understanding. He was going to have to make decisions. There's a proverb that says, he who's first in his own cause seems right. First person that comes telling their story, wow, they must be right. Until their neighbor comes (laughs) and tells the other side of the story. Oh, now what do I do? It's not quite as clear as it was before. But these principles are there to help us understand, to help us grow in discernment. Other Proverbs say that there's safety in a multitude of counsel. I've got a big decision to make. I'm going to get some advice from my mom, from my dad, from my minister, from friends who know me and know what my tendency is and will pull me back from the edge of the cliff that I like to walk on from time to time. The book of Proverbs is there for us so we can grow in wisdom and grow in discernment. Ezekiel 44, let's just notice that quickly. This has prophetic implications. Ezekiel chapter 44. This is the job of the priests in the Old Testament, but as we're going to be priests and kings in the coming kingdom of God, it gives us an idea of what we're going to be doing. Ezekiel 44. Verse 23, 
talking about the job of the priest. But if we're going to be kings and priests, this is going to be our job. They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the clean and the unclean. This is going to be our job to teach the peoples of the world the difference between right and wrong, truth and error, clean and unclean. This is what we've been called to prepare for. Brethren, as we approach the Passover, let's use the time that we have in the next couple of weeks to examine ourselves and ask some rather penetrating questions. Have I been caught up in some sort of deception? Am I deceiving myself in any way? Am I trying to convince myself of something that is just plain wrong? Use the time, whether you're baptized or not baptized. Am I on the right course? Am I moving in the right direction? Do I understand what the consequences will be if I make a wrong decision in this or that? Am I living like a real Christian? I assume by your presence here that you want to be a Christian. Are you living that way? Am I living that way? Are we doing what we should be doing, or are we deceiving ourselves? Brethren, as I mentioned in the very beginning, one of the greatest dangers that we face today and will face in the years ahead is deception. The Bible says the whole world is deceived. This man of sin is going to have a powerful influence on the world, and many are going to be deceived. But the Bible also says real discernment, the ability to discern what's right and wrong, what is true and what is false, is one of the greatest gifts that we can be given, one of the greatest assets that we can develop discernment. Let's ask God as we approach the Passover. Let's ask God for and strive to develop real discernment so that we can avoid being deceived because this is what God wants for all of us. We've been called to become kings and priests, to teach the world the difference between right and wrong, and to be able to discern between good and evil. We've been given an incredible calling. Let's approach the Passover examining ourselves so that we can grow in these areas.